Grace is not a one-time thing. Grace is not something that, oh, I needed it once for about 20 minutes when I felt this extreme guilt, had a dose of grace, got me into the kingdom, and now as long as I live right, do my best, stay straight, then I'll be okay. The fact is, is we need grace. And when many of you are looking at the title and say, Saving Grace, oh, this is a Sunday I could have skipped because he's going to talk about meeting Jesus' Savior. I've done that, so you know what? You need saving grace every day. Every day. In Ephesians chapter 2, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. You see the picture that Paul's painting? This is something that affects everyone. Everyone has a sin nature. Everyone has fallen. Everyone has inclination or tendency, sin's tendencies, to lean towards things that are disobedient to God's directives, right? Every one of us would be, by God's justice, uh, a recipient of his anger or his wrath. Every one of us. But God, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. I could go to the end of the teaching right now and say it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. It's because we identify with him. When, when many of you, uh, when we went to Chris and Bibi's house for the, the baptique and you were baptized, what were you doing? You were identifying with three things that Jesus did. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. He died for our sins. He died that our sins would, would in the justice of God, be paid for. A righteous man, a righteous offering was made for our sin. And by faith, we receive that. And burial is reminding us that our old man, our old nature, just like we went into the water, our old nature, which is dead, is removed. And when we come out of the water, what are we reminded of? That we've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not I. How do we live? Because Christ lives in us. And because he lives, we shall live also. His resurrection life is our life. Many of you may be like me. You know, I was uh, adopted. First service I was in at church was probably seven weeks old because that's when my parents got me. I know I sat, two ladies in the church fought over who was going to hold me, and I sat there till mom finished playing the piano because she led from the piano. That's how we did it in those days. 
That's all I've known. I thought, I thought, well, I thought, Mom, <laughs> that was fantastic. A cue we didn't even plan. Yeah, that's that, that was. Uh, that's okay. That's funny right there. But anyway, it's all I've known. And, and as a teenager, people said to my parents, "Oh, your 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 son's such a great Christian." I wasn't a great Christian. I behaved the way I did because it was a moral upbringing, not a spiritual one. Do you hear me? We did things because it's what we did. It was the nature of our home. It's why many of you brush your teeth because your mom said do it. And finally, after 40 or 50 years, you believed her. And we're grateful for it. Let's talk about a couple of things very quickly. First of all, salvation is necessary because we are born spiritually dead. Salvation is necessary because we are born spiritually dead. You'll say, well, that's a simple truth. We're in church. We know that. I'm telling you, in our world today, there's an absolute belief that this is not necessary. You know the story in Genesis 3. We were created in Genesis 1, tripartite, spirit, soul, and body. We are just basically a, a representation of the nature of God. And what did God say? If you sin, you will surely die. Man didn't die physically. You've heard me preach this, but man died spiritually in Genesis 3. And when man died spiritually, what took over? The soul, the mind, emotions, and will. You ever heard that here? <laughs> I think I've, I know I've preached it here. And so our mind took over. But we're spiritually dead. But we were created spiritual beings. Genesis 1, God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Then they will reign over the fish in the sea, um, the birds in the air, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. You see, our spirit was created to commune with God. Uh, you, in Genesis 3, it talks about the fact that every evening, can you imagine after dinner you take a walk? We do that. But can you imagine taking a walk with God? Every day. Can you imagine what might come up in that conversation? You see, here's what God intended. You're my kids. We'll meet every evening. Tell me what happened today. And if you ran into something you didn't know what to do, bring it up. I'll give you the answer. Can you imagine every day? Jill, write that down. I'll forget, but we want to ask God. Had they followed the pattern when Satan came and said, eat of that fruit, they could have said, you know what? We'll ask God about that. And he would have said, I'm glad you asked. Because he could have fully explained everything that was going to happen. But they didn't ask. We were created to commune with God. It is in us. There is a desire within us to commune, to fellowship with God. But sin brought spiritual death and separation from God. In Genesis 2, 
It said, the Lord placed man in the garden to tend and watch over. But the Lord warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree of the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat the fruit, you will die. Well, they ate the fruit. And what happened in Genesis 3? They hid from the Lord among the trees. And God called the man, where are you? Did he really need to ask? He didn't need to ask, but he did. Why? Because he wanted them to answer some questions. And they said, well, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. When did you find that out? You know, we, we look at this and we just kind of get caught up in the physical, and many of us are grateful for clothes. Makes preaching easier. That's funny right there. But the nakedness is more than just physical. It's where you can share your emotion. It's where you can share your thoughts. It's where you can share your intimate, up close and personal, how you really are, how you really feel. Your own insecurities can be expressed when you're naked. But suddenly they realized they didn't measure up. They certainly didn't measure up for God's standard, and they knew it. We know what happened. Man was cast out of the garden, Genesis 3, 22 and 23. And what happened? A spiritual rebirth was needed. So let's go all the way to John chapter 3. So I'm going to preach the whole Bible in one day. John chapter 3 says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He went to a Jewish person. That makes him religious. Went to a teacher and a Pharisee. You know, to be a Pharisee, you, you like memorize the first five books of the Bible. And he says, you must be born again. And if you're not, you can't see the kingdom. And what's this guy say? I get it. <laughs> he says, what do you mean? And all he can think is physically. How can me, an old man, go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants. You can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. There's not going to be a formula here. You know, it's not like when you were in high school and you went to biology class and they explained the whole idea of DNA and RNA and, and how we reproduce cells and people reproduce people and animals reproduce. It's not, you, you can't do that about spiritual things. Why? Because they're spiritual. 
So how does that happen? Well, by faith we surrender our lives to Jesus. I don't get it, but by faith I surrender my life to Jesus. You see, salvation is the act of inviting Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior. How many of you remember that prayer? I told you when I prayed it the night I broke the window at church. And my dad was the pastor. I was going to see God that night one way or another. I should have been in the service. I was playing catch against the brick wall. and Threw a fly ball through a window into church. Thought I could sneak back in. And when the invitation came, I was down there. My mom said, you were gloriously saved. I said, no, I was gloriously terrified. It's hard to explain. We've all prayed a prayer. Maybe it's called the sinner's prayer. Maybe you were at a, a large crusade and you walked forward as George Beverly Shea sang something and Billy Graham called out, you know, everyone come. Or maybe you were right here watching on video. And I ask you to pray a simple prayer. You can't explain it, but by faith we surrender our lives to Jesus. And inviting Jesus into our life, Holy Spirit brings our dead spirit to life. And guess what? We are born of the Spirit. John 3.16, you ever heard this one? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. I'd love to teach a sermon on that while I'm the pastor. I could. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Did you hear that? It doesn't say there is no judgment against anyone who, once they get saved, continues to do the right things every day, always. Anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. Romans 10 said, The message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You see, salvation is simple, but it's a profound act of surrendering our lives to Jesus and of putting our faith in him as the Son of God. Everything else occurs in our life as an act of God's mercy and his grace. Ephesians 2, God still loved us with, with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we are dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us in the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Christ. For by grace you've been saved. Nothing you did could ever earn the salvation, for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. By the way, 
No one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. There's two words that are mentioned there, mercy and grace. Mercy is when you've earned judgment, you've earned punishment, and it's withheld. The judgment's withheld. Grace is a gift you receive that you didn't earn, that you didn't deserve. It comes from the loving kindness of our Creator. It comes because of His goodwill towards us. You see, if it's deserved, it's not grace. Grace cannot be earned or gained in any way through merit. It can only be accepted by faith or, listen, rejected by unbelief. So quickly, because it's 1046, let's look at five responses to the message of grace. Number one, I don't need salvation because I'm a good person. I'm reminded of the first church I pastored. Uh, we used to do something called evangelism explosion. And you'd ask people two questions. And, uh, <laughs> you know, suppose the second question was something along the lines of, uh, <clears throat> suppose you were to meet God today and you ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And <laughs> we had one person say, well, I suppose I could talk him into it. <laughs> I don't need salvation because I'm a good person. Well, let's see what Jesus said about that in Mark chapter 10. Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. A man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, who's he talking to? Jesus. And he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? If anybody could get in on goodness, it'd be him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you must know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And and teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him and said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away. Why? For he had many possessions. He claimed that he did that whole list. He claimed I did this, 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 and this. Okay, if you really did all of those things, then trust me for everything, give up your money. And what did his behavior say? There is one thing that has lordship above Jesus. It's my money. This concept... I'm good. Do you realize how infinitely good God is? And do you realize how infinitely far above anything we could ever be, God is? 
and exist and he dwells. No effort of our goodness can build a bridge high enough or long enough to reach to the perfection nature of God. See, that makes it sound hopeless. Well, on the other side of the story, there are some that say, I'm disqualified from grace because I'm a really good, good sinner. That's what severity means. I'm a good, good sinner. In fact, I'm so good that God's grace isn't big enough to cover how good I am as a sinner. Do you realize that whether you commit murder, we didn't do this, but I'll use it as an illustration, or you're late for church and you drive 85 up 99 because you're the pastor, both of those things are violation of the law. Guess what that makes me? A lawbreaker. This is another word for sinner. I remember in the second church that I pastored having a gentleman come to church with his wife and kids one service. And I was standing out in the lawn and we were talking to him. And I said, man, you know, it was great to have you. And he said, you know, if I could just quit smoking, I'd come to church. In other words, if I can get good enough then I'll be part of God's family. He thought he was disqualified because of cigarettes. I said, why don't you just come and let Jesus deal with that? I also cracked some joke. I'd rather smell that smoke than the other smoke. But anyway, that's... <laughs> Romans 8 says, so there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. How do you belong to Christ? You believe. You believe, then you belong. And because you belong, there's no condemnation. And because you belong to him, listen to what happens. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. You want a definition of grace? I just read it. He did this so the just requirement of the law would be satisfied for us who no longer follow our sin nature, but instead follow the spirit. You see, the law is about me, what I can and can't do. The law proved no one could be saved by their own goodness or their own performance. Grace is about God's goodness, not my badness. Number three, I'm saved by good works and service. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. I used to joke, I don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. <laughs> Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Listen to this. You talk about self-righteous. I thank God that I'm not like these other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, who's saying this? This is Jesus. This sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now you might say, well, now you're telling me free from the law, oh, happy condition, I sin as I please and still have remission. But if works don't matter, why do we need to obey God? What difference does it make? Well, I wanted to just throw this in here as a caveat, no extra charge. How do we prove our love for him? Those who love me obey my commands. What's another reason we do it? As an example for others. And we also do it to prove or to Acknowledge his lordship and qualify for his blessings. Notice I didn't say anything about salvation there. In Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on earth without a foundation against which the stream beat, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. You see, by obeying Jesus, I prove his lordship, and I live in the blessing of his safety and of his protection that his word provides. Without obedience, there's no proof of lordship and no promise of protection. So I'm not doing these things to prove that I'm saved by my good works and my service, I'm doing this because I want to live under the blessing and protection of God. Number four, I reject grace, refusing to repent and be accountable for my sin. I reject grace. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world for him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, John 3.18 says. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And judgment is based on this fact. Listen to what it says. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Hear what I'm going to say. The ultimate sin that causes people to be eternally separated from God is rejecting His grace. Notice I didn't list a behavior. It's rejecting His grace grace what's the fifth way that we can respond through faith I receive God's grace and gift of salvation <coughs> Ephesians 2 God can point to us in future ages as examples 
of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done, so no one can boast about it. For we're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, God expresses his love in an environment of grace. For when we place our faith in Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised, that's following all the rules, or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. How do you really see who God is? You experience his love in an environment grace another thing grace does it enables us to boldly approach God for we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy in other words not receive the punishment that we earned and deserved, and that we should find grace, receive something we didn't earn, to help us in our time of need. Say, so why do you preach a saving grace message in church with Christian people? Very simply. It's not that one-time decision that you made, in my case, six years old, Minneapolis, Minnesota, first four square church, between Nicollet and Blaisdell with stained glass windows because we bought a United Methodist Church. Do you know what? I've needed God's saving grace a whole bunch other times since then. And I've experienced it. Not just the day I fell into a pool with an electric motor, although that was pretty good. I've needed it every day. But here's the thing that we need to know. His grace extended to us is without measure when we believe. It's always without measure, but when we believe, it is applied to our life. Now, I don't know if any of you were like me, but I got saved every Sunday night through most of my teenage years because God created girls. And I went to school in the 70s, and the skirts were short, and the teachers didn't always engage my mind. I would go up in our church. We had kneeling benches. I don't call them altars in the New Testament, the altars in our heart. We had these kneeling benches, and I'd go up there, and, oh, God, please forgive me. I promise you I'll never do this again. How stupid is that? Huh? I'll never do it. I promise, God, if you'll just save me, if you'll just say, oh, please, God. And by Tuesday, I was thinking, 
God, don't come back. Don't send Jesus till at least Sunday night so I can get up to that kneeling bench and cry a little bit and, and get saved again. Do you understand his saving grace was extended to you and it's extended to you throughout your life? Do you know it's extended in days and times and in actions? You don't even know you're disobeying God, but his grace covers. Why? Because you believe. You believe. Not because you behave. You believe. It is the most freeing thing. Not freeing to sin, but it is the most freeing thing to recognize that because I believe, I'm saved. Because I believe, I'm secure in His grace. It's the day I stop believing that I'm in trouble. It's the day I start relying on my own ability, my own skills, my own ability to do what's right. I am gloriously 65 years old. I've been living my life on loan since 16. Those of you who don't know the story, I fell in a swimming pool. It was underwater seven minutes with an electric motor on top of me. Should be dead. They didn't know what to do when they got me out, so they formed a circle and prayed. Didn't you people learn about CPR? You formed a circle and prayed. I could be dying here, people. And my beloved aunt, who could not even remember the turkey at Thanksgiving, that's how scattered my brain she was at times, walked into my hospital room Sonora Community Hospital, and said, Son, I'm glad you made it. To whom much is given, much is required. You owe the rest of your life to him. And walked out. So I'm here because of God's grace. And my dear Aunt Dina, who did forget the turkey that Thanksgiving, we were 20 minutes into the meal, and my uncle said, Hey, Dean, are we going to have any meat? Oh, yes, the turkey. <laughs> That's God's grace. Have I lived right every day since then? Joe could give you a list. She wouldn't even have to check it twice. I want all of us to understand that we do not need to live in that sense of never sure, uh, always insecure, always wondering, okay, I did something today, and, and, and listing a litany of things that we might have done. It's grace. How do you receive it? By faith. You believe. There's no better use of a rascal flat's voice than singing, <laughs> singing about God's grace. Of all the messages that I will ever speak, this is the most important. I trust that every one of you have experienced his grace.
But I also want to share with you that when you've accepted Christ as your Savior, when you've believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can know without a doubt that your eternal destiny is secure. Not as a license to sin, but as liberty to walk free. You heard him singing about the chains that were broken. That was our sin nature that just kept saying, it's your nature, it's your nature, it's your nature, it's what you have to do. But when you get a new nature, guess what? Now you have a choice. And you don't have to wait for Sunday to come to an altar. Because now you have the indwelling life of the Spirit of God who's there to say, <clears throat> Mark, <clears throat> oh, sorry about that. So, Father, this morning, I pray for this, your people. I pray that every one of them has experienced your grace. And I pray in this coming week and in this coming series, the next five Sundays, as we talk about your grace, I pray they experience it at a greater depth, with greater understanding, a greater dimension of how it impacts their lives, Lord Jesus. If you're in this room or you're watching online and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, I encourage you to pray this simple prayer. Father, I need your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died and rose again. And because he lives, I will live. I confess my sins. I place my trust in you. If you pray that simple prayer, you're a member of God's kingdom. You experience his life eternal. You can have his joy and peace and walk in his grace each and every day. And for those of you that have already prayed that prayer, and maybe you're like me it's many, many years ago, and maybe the circumstances that led you to pray it were perhaps more tenuous than mine. I pray in the coming weeks that as we talk about God's grace, you'll recognize his grace is more than just uh, an overlooking of your failures, but it's an empowering spirit to give you the ability to live life an overcoming life, a victorious life, and an abundant life. Do that in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, okay, service is over. Now I need to have a family talk. Um,